this morning. I'm continuing our series. This one goes out to all you lovers out there, lasting love. So, I, and I'm talking about marriage, but I'm aware that certainly not everyone here is married. Some don't want to be married. Some cannot legally marry the love of their lives. And I want to say a couple of things about that. One is I am a firm advocate of marriage equality. That's not the subject of this morning. Um, and the other is that lasting love is a spiritual practice that applies to many kinds of long-term relationships, but particularly to long-term committed partnerships of any sort. And the loving behavior is meaningful, well, essential in all our relationships. So what makes marriage a topic for Sunday morning? And one thing is I, I like to w use the word worship. Not everybody does like to use that word. But I like it because I think of it as coming from the Old English, its Old English roots, which mean worth shape. So that by talking about marriage, we're saying that marriage is something of worth. And perhaps also, how do we shape that worth? I think marriage is in itself a spiritual practice and definitely not always an easy one. Uh, as I sang the last song, I'm thinking that it, it, that song, Please Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood, is really a good song for marriage or maybe any long couple relationship. We, we do feel misunderstood and we will feel misunderstood. I think it's also important in keeping our relationship strong to believe that all of us are souls whose intentions are good. So in marriage, we have everyday challenges to practice loving behavior. The earliest Christian monastics, that they were called the Amas and Abbas, desert fathers and mothers. They went out to live in the desert of Egypt in the sixth century, they taught that the goal, the lifelong goal of spiritual practice is to love, to increase your ability to love. We don't really start out like this beautiful little one, really knowing how to love. We need to learn. Last week, Ken talked about love as conversion or turning. And when we turn to love, turn towards our partner, we are changed. It is a kind of a conversion. With commitment and daily practice, we do become more loving. Jesus taught that we should love our neighbors as ourselves and even that we should love our enemies. And I think sometimes, sometimes it's more of a challenge to love the person in the bed next to us than to love those enemies. And I... And I I remembered an old song from the musical Hair. Easy to be hard. Some of the older ones among us may remember that. Easy to be hard. How can people be so heartless? Especially people who care about strangers, evil and social injustice. Do you only care about the bleeding crowd? How about a needing friend? How about a needing spouse? Theodore Parker was an eloquent and passionate 19th century Unitarian minister. He used to fill halls in Boston in the 19th century with four and 5,000 people on a Sunday morning. 
He had a difficult early marriage, and later in his life he wrote this. He said, It takes years to marry completely two hearts, even of the most loving and well-assorted. A happy wedlock is a long falling in love. Young persons think love belongs only to the young, but the golden marriage is a part of love which the wedding day knows nothing of. Such a large and sweet fruit is a complete marriage that it needs a long summer to ripen and a long winter to mellow and season in. So a long loving commitment asks us to pay attention to one another, to pay attention to our partner's uniqueness, sometimes when we may not want to. And living with a partner means that someone else sees us in all our uniqueness, seeing things about ourselves that we may not be able to see or may not want to see. So yeah, married love changes us. But you know, rather than leading us to become the same person as some language implies, a good marriage can lead us to be more truly our own selves, each partner to be more the unique, gifted person they were meant to be. I remember when I was in college, I met a young woman who'd just been married, and she said, you know, before I go to bed at night with my husband, I wash my face and I put on all new makeup. And then I set my alarm for 5.30 in the morning, so I'm up before he is, so I wash my face and put on new makeup. She said, I'm afraid to let him see me without makeup. I still feel sad remembering that story for her and I wonder what's happened for them because she was afraid to be herself even physically with the man she said she loved and lived with. I, I went over some of my ideas for the sermon uh, yesterday with my daughter and new son-in-law and Scott is a 26-year-old down-to-earth kind of guy and he said, that's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. And it's pleasing to me that young folks recognize that craziness. Because loving intimacy means being vulnerable. Deep connection to another opens us to that joy coming back, but also to sorrow and pain. When brokenhearted people have told me that they never want to risk love again, I sometimes told them that every good relationship ends badly. You could argue with that, but the joy and what Parker called the large sweet fruit of a golden marriage is more than worth the risk. And it might sound cynical to say that a good relationship will end badly, but what I mean is that the relationship will end when one partner dies. Rarely do we die together in the same moment. And where we love deeply, we grieve deeply. A very long, good marriage will bring us deep pleasure, deep joy, and deep sorrow. When we protect ourselves from being known, as that, that young woman did, protect from being loved, protect even from loving, she was protecting herself from being fully alive. Last week at, at the hospital, where I'm 
part-time hospital chaplain, I met an 88-year-old man who'd been married for 65 years. He was in good health, really. He just had a minor problem, and he was waiting to go home. He told me to the same good woman he'd been married to for 65 years. And knowing I'd be talking about marriage this morning, I, I asked him his secret. And he said, he teared up, too, when he said this. He said, well, we did have our ups and downs, but the main thing, every morning... Every morning I gave her a hug. Love, that's the main thing. That's what life really is about, he said. And if you had told me 30 years ago that one day I would be talking about how to keep love in a marriage, I would have probably not believed you. I probably would have been very skeptical. My parents fought intensely and eventually divorced. I never saw a marriage that I would have wanted to be in. My parents never learned to resolve their conflicts. When Rick and I were first dating, we went to a party where we knew only a few people. And Rick says this is when we had our first fight. I don't call it a fight because it was way too quiet and peaceful a discussion for me to label a fight. <laughs> <clears throat> but it happened because some of the people we just met said they thought we were married. And I thought it was an insult. <laughs> Um, at that age and with my experience then my view of married people were that they were mean to each other they ignored or insulted each other <clears throat> and that was not how I thought that Rick and I were together well it wasn't now Rick's parents had had a long caring marriage and he could not understand at all what I was upset about and naturally enough he thought that I was saying that I did not want to be married to him and that wasn't it at all now later I don't even know how much later, I realized that the folks at the party were seeing our attachment to each other. They were seeing that we had just fallen in love, that we listened to each other, that we respected each other. Folks who study these things say that the chemistry, the biochemistry of falling in love, which we know is kind of giddy and a little crazy, um, lasts between 18 and 36 months at the most. They, they, they can show its decline after 36 months at the latest. But they theory that, theorize that that early intense biochemistry, that early intense attraction is designed to just bring us together. And when it works well, it leads to attachment. When it works well, those fireworks, those sparks that Ken mentioned last week, ignite a fire and not a raging bonfire at least not always, but a hardwood or a coal fire that can burn sometimes brightly and sometimes just an ember, but it keeps burning. And we need to take care of that fire. You know, we, if fires need continual adding of fuel, they need air, they need a way to remove the ashes, the old stuff that doesn't matter anymore. So daily attention and practice in our relationships can help us to blow on the coal of the heart. We've been talking a little each week about the three forms of love, eros, philia, and agape. And a good marriage includes all three. We are physical embodied creatures. We need touch. The erotic strengthens our connection with each other. Mutual pleasuring nurtures our bond. 
one of the things I really like about the Jewish perspective on life is their healthy emphasis on being physical and their very healthy emphasis on sexuality. You know, it's a mitzvah, a very good thing, not only to have sex with your partner, but to have sex on the Sabbath is an especially good thing. And it's the husband's responsibility. I, as, as a female person, I admit to particularly liking this. It's a husband's responsibility to sexually please his wife. Sounds a lot different than some Christian teachings I've heard. <clears throat> but without friendship, without philia, arrows cannot carry a long-term commitment. We need to like our partners. We need to want to spend time with them. We need to care about what they care about, about what's important to them. I have learned to recognize antique cars and pay attention to them on the highway and even the names of some of them. This is only because my husband is a car nut. <laughs> I feel fortunate for the way that Rick and I met because we did get to know each other well before we ever dated. We were working on the night shift in a mental health hospital. Rick worked on the inpatient unit and I took crisis phone calls. Well, the night shift on a mental health hospital sometimes is very busy but has many nights where you need to stay awake and alert, but you don't really have anything to do. So we had long talks. We even played Scrabble or cards sometimes. So we, we got to know each other well. And I remember a coworker asking, still before we dated, what's going on with the two of you? And I, nothing's going on with the two of us. And there wasn't anything that we actually, or at least that I actually knew of consciously. But we established a friendship. And I think that one of the good things about online dating now is that, in fact, for many couples using online dating, you can really get to know each other in some depth before you even meet, before you even see what the other really looks like. Now, agape is unconditional love. Love turned toward concern to the other, for service for the other. Agape love means commitment. Commitment to loving our partner even when our partner's not so lovable, even when we are not feeling so lovable. And I think that commitment is actually essential for making a marriage, a long-term partnership work. Doesn't mean that every relationship should continue, by the way. Some relationships are better ended, but to make it work, to make it lasting love, you need to have that commitment. Here's a quote from Rabbi Michael Gold. He said, With agape, we truly feel our loved one's pain. It's the love when a man or woman makes their spouse the most important commitment in their life. Agape is the love built on service to the beloved. It is the love known in Judaism as chesed, unselfish giving for the welfare of the other. And I thought I made a full commitment on our wedding day, but in fact, I really didn't. Because in my head, I still held divorce open as an option. You know, given the way that I grew up, I wasn't really sure that the trust, the love, the constancy that we experienced would in fact actually last. I feared Rick would change, or maybe I would change. I don't know, I think I feared magic. And it took me five years to really 
realize that I was fully committed, that I would not leave, would not seek a divorce. And I have felt fully committed for a long time now. And still there's a way I can't quite name it or, that I feel commitment growing as we face life's challenges and ch changes together. How can it grow from being full? I don't know. And now I say that marriage is one of the greatest blessings of my life. I felt really pleased when our daughter Jess could say to Rick and me, I want what you two have. Just before their wedding last September, I wrote Jess a letter trying to share some of what I'd learned about marriage, and she said I could share some of it with you. So here it is. My dear daughter, I write to you on the eve of your wedding, somehow wanting to give you one last gift or say one more thing while you are still single. I guess really all that I am trying to say is that you can have a happy marriage, and I hope that you will. You and Scott made your commitments to each other long ago. Yes, you have conflicts and issues. That's normal, and you work them out. Conflicts help you to grow. I trust and believe that you will continue to work them out. Your marriage is still an important marker. It's important that you make your commitment public and visible. You have found a partner and let the world know that now you and Scott face the world together. Your marriage with Scott means that you should turn first to him in your joys and in your sorrows, and he to you. Nothing may seem to be different, at least not at first, but yet it is different. You will grow and change together. You are promising to support and love each other. You are promising to make your lives with each other. I hope you will fully trust Scott's love for you. I hope that you will always remember that you are lovable. Giving yourself is a deeply valuable gift. And I hope that you will always remember to be loving. Love changes. You must already know that it's not the same every day. But you can continue to love, to sustain your love, if you speak your truth and listen. Listen to Scott's truth. Sadness, anger, disappointment, these will happen, and none of them mean the end of love. None of us is perfect, and sometimes we cannot help but hurt each other. So be prepared to forgive and be prepared to ask for forgiveness. Love can grow fuller and richer as you live through whatever life brings you together. And I hope someday that you will not be able to imagine your life without Scott. Indeed, that you hardly know who you would be without him. That's the way I feel about your father. Of course, I am my own person, as you are your own person. But part of who I am comes from my partnership with your father, and I would have been someone different without him. So may you grow more fully into yourselves with each other. Mom.
So I have learned from my own life, and I've learned from other people, including writers and psychologists, one of whom is a down-to-earth, pragmatic guy named John Gottman. Dr. Gottman wanted to really know what works in a marriage. And he and his colleagues built an apartment lab overlooking a lake in Seattle with cameras and uh, mirrors that they could see through. And the uh, couples are hooked up to read their vital signs. And then the couple lives in the apartment um, overnight or for a weekend. And they observe and count everything that they say and their movements. So he's got research validation of what does work in marriage. And also, he's learned to predict divorce within five minutes, 91% accuracy. Five minutes of seeing a couple. What does he see? Well, some of what he say, sees is what he calls turning toward. And it means that literally, literally, physically, do you turn toward your partner? but also emotionally and verbally. Do you say, wow, did you see the ice on the trees this morning? It's beautiful. Do you share that with your partner? Do you say, I had a crappy day at work today. That's turning towards your partner. Also, happy marriages, certainly, we know this, have conflict. But Gottman has found that happy marriages have positive interactions which outnumber negative interactions by five to one. I told you, he counts. And it can be small things. It, it, it's just being polite, saying, honey, please, or whatever, it would count as a positive interaction. <clears throat> but politeness, shared laughter, validation helps. You could see when couples played together and teased each other with affection. <clears throat> Excuse me. 70% of men and women told him that it's the quality of their friendship that determine whether both wives and husbands feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their relationships, in their lives. So friendship first, really. <clears throat> the 88-year-old guy in the hospital expressed that turning toward when he told me about hugging his wife every morning. That is turning toward. Greeting your partner when you come home, saying goodbye in the morning, calling up in the middle of the day just to say hello and make that connection. All those are forms of turning toward. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lasting happy relationships also include shared projects and shared meanings. Shared projects can be all kinds of things. It could be raising a child it could, or several children. It could be building a house together. It could be working together in building a new religious community or a project for your community. It only matters that it feels shared, something you are working on together. Certainly coming to a religious congregation together is a way of building shared values. <clears throat> Also, an important thing is the ability, I said earlier, to 
forgive and ask for forgiveness. But it's really important to be able to acknowledge when you have messed up and make a repair attempt. Repair attempt, yeah. And a repair attempt is not something very complicated necessarily. Sometimes it's saying, I'm sorry. Sometimes it's saying, I don't understand. Could you try to explain that again? Sometimes it's saying, I really felt lonely when you went out the other night. Could we spend some time together? But a repair attempt is reaching out, acknowledging what you are thinking and feeling, acknowledging what you have done. Gottman also encourages us to recognize that in marriages there are what he calls perpetual problems. He says 69% of the problems in marriage are perpetual, meaning they come back, they don't ever really go away, and you can't really solve them. Usually they are different, but it's okay. <laughs> Usually it's a difference in ter temperament or personality. And here's an example from my own life. I don't, I just don't have a good sense of time, and Rick does. And so I get lost in things. I don't really know what time it is, and I'm late. Rick likes to be on time, and I respect that. It would be a good thing for me to change, but I've been trying that for about 50 years. <laughs> but what does help is that we can accept that. We can cope with that. We know that we are different in that way, and sometimes we can make jokes about it. And I've learned that Rick adds an hour and a half to the time that I tell him that I will be home before he starts to worry. And I do my best, in fact, to try to not be late or to keep him from being on time. So Rick and I can certainly still annoy each other or disappoint each other, but we don't try to change each other. We continue to learn from each other. And this is what I would encourage you to do. Continue to learn who is the person that you are with. So 30 some years after choosing to marry, I am happy to talk about the joys and blessings of being married, of long-term committed partnerships. I probably could talk for a couple of days about the skills of marriage, but that is too long for this morning. So Unitarian Universalist ethicist Sharon Welsh, who's also now the provost of my seminary, says, we see as we were seen. We love as we were loved. To see the world through the lenses of compassion and empathy is a blessing and a gift. We don't create marriage alone. I am deeply grateful to have such a husband. I'm grateful for Rick's love and commitment. I am deeply grateful to continue to love Rick and to grow with him. It is a blessing. It is grace. May each of you live in, live in grace and blessing. May it be so. Amen.